You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I am Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and only the best TV and movie recommendations for what ails you. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. A second disclaimer this week, Rafer, you're still unpacking your new apartment. Things are sounding a little bit echoey and cavernous on your end, but your advice is stellar as always. So shall we get to this week's letters? Yes, we're going to start off with a letter from Bridget. Bridget says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am recently married to a man that loves projects, working with his hands, and staying busy. He works independently for himself in a manual labor job that is very demanding. The other day, he had an accident and severely injured both of his hands, making him unable to use them in general or for work for the next month while they heal. He has accepted help with work and seems to feel okay about that assistance because he can pay for that help. However, He has had to rely on myself for the day-to-day activities of life and seems to struggle with me being in the caregiver role. While he knows I love him and he would do the same for me, he's having a hard time being on the receiving end of my help. Can you prescribe some therapy that will open him up to accepting help from myself and his community of friends and family? Kristen, I know this may be tempting for you, but please, no Christmas movies. Oh my God. So many of you write with that disclaimer. Is that true, Kristen? Yes. So many. So many people do. I don't understand that. I don't see. I Listen. I've only prescribed 30 Christmas movies on this show. I just want to make it clear. (laughs) Not even 30. (laughs) That's that's only 40-something percent of your recommendations. I've known you for years, Kristen, and I never have ever minded when you recommend a Christmas movie. Oh, good. I'm glad. I can't Im- I can't imagine you without a Christmas movie Aww, in your life. But thank you. listen, that's what don't don't shoot the messenger. I was just reading it out. That's what she said. Okay. Okay. Well, Rafer, have you ever been in that situation where you have to rely on someone else to help you and maybe you did not feel so good about it? Yes. Um I have just lived through that um pretty recently and I'm, I fear that I may be living through it again. 
in the middle of the pandemic, I uh, had rotator cuff surgery um, that wound up actually being worse than expected. Um, my bicep had actually detached in some strange way that I still don't quite understand. And so I was in a sling for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was in physical therapy for months. I would say the whole recovery process took about six months total, at least. Um, I, I was not back to normal for at least six months. And even then, you know, my, my body had really kind of atrophied because I couldn't really do that much. Um, and it was really depressing and really debilitating and really difficult to be, I would not say helpless. Like our, our, our reader here is describing someone who has had an accident with both his hands, which sounds really difficult. I, you know, I still had use of one arm and one hand and I can still use my, even my arm in a sling, I could still use it a little bit. But, you know, I couldn't put away, uh, it was difficult to put away a high dish. It was difficult to, taking a shower was really difficult for, you know, weeks. Um, it just, everything was hard. And I felt like, um, I think you wind up, maybe men especially, I don't know, but you wind up feeling kind of weak and you just wind up feeling like you can't do anything and you can't contribute. Um, and all the stuff you took for granted is gone running. I couldn't go for a run for a long, long, long time, but it, it, it really, um, it was really, really difficult, especially during the, during the, the height of the pandemic it was August when I got the surgery, uh, of last year, it was tough. It was tough. And it really took me a lot of, um, took me a long time to bounce back. And I think it might be happening on my other shoulder. I'm not oh, sure. Rachel. I'm not positive oh, yet. I don't want to catastrophize, but I, I'm seeing the doctor soon and I, I'm, I'm dreading that that might be the problem. Anyway, if it is, it is, and I'll get over it. But yes, I oh. totally understand, totally understand what this um, uh, writer's husband is going through. Have you ever had anything like that, Kristen? Like a Well... I, I have been sick many, many times in my life in the hospital and so on. Um, but I've definitely had versions of sick that are more humiliating than others, like things you don't necessarily want to rely on your romantic partner to have to deal with. And so I'll, I'll just give you one example. There was a certain point in my life where I started developing um, a, a negative reaction to zinc, and I didn't realize like it was in some of my vitamins and so on. Oh, zinc. I didn't, yeah. I've never heard of that. Okay. And uh, I remember there was one day where I, I think the flu was going around my office or the cold was or something, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take more zinc than usual. And I was not doing well. And what is the verb for having diarrhea? I was diarrheaing and throwing I, up at the same time. Oh boy! At the office. Oh boy! And then uh, I called up Dean in tears. At that point, we hadn't even been together two years, and I was so humiliated. I'm like, I can't get on the subway oh, like this because right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to poo all over the subway and throw up on myself. And I was crying. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, It's okay. And he had a car at the time, so he came and he fetched me. And then I was throwing up in his car and diarrheaing in his no. car. Oh, no. I know, super not sexy. And it's like, it's so humiliating. And, you know, right. And I was crying the whole time because I was so embarrassed, too. Oh, Kristen. Oh. So I don't know if that's quite the same well, thing. Well, I mean, it's, as, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you know, you're, you're being, um, you're being, uh, I don't know what the word is for it, kind of infantilized or something, right? You're, you're, you're oh, God, you're, you yeah. Can't, you exactly. can't be the adult that you, you know, that you can't be the, the, the independent, self-reliant, functioning adult that yeah. you 
that you have have worked so hard to become, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So And um that wasn't the last time that happened either cuz oh, it took me no. a while longer because I didn't realize it was the zinc in my vitamins that was causing the problem. So it happened another day too and I'm like, "Oh, and then I did some reading up and it turned out it was the zinc." But Oh my God. Yeah. Not sexy. Yeah. We were still in the sexy stage of our relationship. Right. It was the first two years where you're doing it every day, you know? <laughs> right. Not after that. <laughs> I, I bet, I'm, I'll bet it brought you closer. It Well, it, it did in some ways. It really forced me to rely on my trust. And hopefully, Bridget, your husband will feel the same way that he's feeling that he has to lean a little bit extra into his trust for you and his appreciation and his love for you. And hopefully you're leaning into your love for him too, your sense of tenderness of, you know, you would do anything for him. And he knows he would do anything for you also if he could. So I hope that you're both feeling those feelings too, and not just the embarrassment of, I can't be the best version of myself right now. Hopefully it's mostly tenderness and mostly love. And hopefully he can, you know, get past whatever embarrassment he has, just as I got past diarying and throwing up in Dean's car. <laughs> we're going to look that up later and find the actual verb for that. See, <laughs> if, that's, that see, if, that's a real, see if that's a real word. <laughs> but Reaver, what are we going to suggest here to Bridget and her husband? Well, I'm going to go back and prescribe a movie that sort of won me over in spite of myself. It's a movie called the Intouchables from France from about 10 years ago now, I think. Do you remember this movie, Kristen? No, but didn't they remake it with like Kevin Hart or some version of this at some yes. point? Yes. They remade it with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Don't see that version. <laughs> that was that was a that was a terrible, <laughs> terrible movie. Uh poor Brian Cranston. You know, I've seen him not poor. Uh, he's such a great actor. I've seen him in two comedies. I've seen him in that movie with Kevin Hart, and I've seen him in Why Him. Do you remember that movie? I loved Why Him, but it's a Christmas movie. We can't bring up Christmas movies, Rafer. You, you loved Why Him? Yes. What's not to love? Oh, my God. I, I, I literally shrank in my seat as that movie went on. Going, it's on my list of 250 greatest Christmas movies of all time. Oh, God, Kristen. Okay, let's not talk about that. All right, let's go back to The <laughs> Untouchables. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why I recommend this movie. It's a French movie. Um, it was a huge hit in France, and it also became a really big hit here. It's like one of the uh, best, uh, the top-grossing French movies, uh, I think, of, the, of its time, at, at that time. It's since surpassed, I found out, by Lucy. Uh, the, the movie with Scarlett Johansson, oh, right? Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. God, that's what I said. Weird. Pro- proof positive that the French are capable of producing crap. <laughs> um, so anyway, this movie, I keep digressing. This movie is about a guy named Philippe. Uh, this is a true story, by the way, or at least inspired by a true story. Philippe is an extremely, extremely wealthy uh, guy. I don't quite remember what he does in the movie, but in real life, he was a French aristocrat from an old, old noble family who had gone into the champagne business, as you would. And Philippe was a you know active guy, traveler, athletic, you know, um, you know, rich, traveling the world all the time. But when he was about forty or so, uh, he went paragliding. He got into an accident and he became quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. And that is where the movie pretty much begins. He's maybe 50 years old at this point, very resigned to life, very bitter, very angry. Again, I don't think they say this in the movie, but in real life, the real Philippe uh, attempted to kill himself. So he's really down. um, And he's gone through one caregiver after another. 
They've all left. They can't stand him. He's too hostile, too nasty. And so along comes this guy named Driss, played by Omar C., uh, currently of Lupin on Netflix. Oh, yes, yes. This was really his breakout role. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's great. Um, this was the first place I think most Americans had ever seen him. It was certainly the first place I'd ever seen him. And um, it's a dazzling role. He just He just lights up the screen. I remember kind of thinking to myself like, Whoa, where'd they find this guy? And so Driss is like, a, you know, he's a younger guy. He's a grown guy, but he's kind of struggling. He's a, he's a single dad to an adopted daughter. He's in the unemployment system. And so he goes to interview as a caregiver to Philippe, but he doesn't really want the job. He just wants to show that, you know, yes, I looked for a job. Now just sign my, you know, piece of paper that I can get my unemployment check and I'm out of here. And obviously nobody thinks that he's going to get the job. And uh, Philippe's staff of people clearly don't want to hire him. He's a, he's got no experience and uh, he sort of doesn't belong in this world, which is sort of a coded way of saying he's black um, and poor and doesn't really, he's not going to be a, the best fit for Philippe. But Philippe takes a shine to him, to everyone's surprise. And I think you kind of know what will happen from there. Uh, these two men get along. Uh, Driss shows Philippe how to be happy and enjoy life. And Philippe shows Driss how to be more responsible with his life and take care of himself, take care of the people in his life. And the two men form this lifelong friendship. And this is the part where Chris and I would pause and play a clip, but it's in French. So we won't do that. But that's the basic story. And like I say, it is based on a true story. Mm. And after watching that reefer, did you think, I can be a little bit more vulnerable with people? I, I, can, I can trust them and not be ashamed. No. That is not the lesson. <laughs> that is not the lesson. Well, let me put it this way. That's not the lesson that emerged. That, that lesson's there. And I think it's interesting that you brought that up because that lesson is there. But the lesson that I brought away was, and this is why I recommend it to our listener, is that the secret to the relationship is that Driss does not treat Philippe with pity. Mm. Part of that is the tough love, you know, the usual tough love stuff, right? And, Philip doesn't want to take his bath and Driss is saying, you know, look, you're going to take a bath. That's, you know, whether you like it or not, you're taking a bath and, you know, get over it, man up, you know. Uh, but more than that, what's great about the relationship is that Driss expects things from Philip. He's basically what he's saying is, yes, you're disabled, but I expect civil treatment. I, I expect cooperation from you. You have obligations. You have, you have duties that you're going to have to fulfill. You have to be nice to people. And he's saying, I, I expect you to still be a person, be part of society and do the things that you can do. And I think that sense is what really lifts Philippe up. You know, like, again, to our listener, your husband is still part of the marriage. He's still part of, I don't know if, if they have children, but he's part of a family, whether it's just the two of you or it's others, but he's still part of a unit here. And he's got a role to play. And I think you you got to expect him to live up to that role. I do this with my youngest kid who is, um, he's a special needs kid. He's got some um, learning disabilities that make things a real challenge for him, but I expect him to do the work. We expect him to, you know, uh, not procrastinate, to get things done. Um, when he's frustrated, that's okay, but he can't be, he can't take it out on us. You know, he can't ruin everybody else's day because he's mad about something. You know, be resilient, be responsible. Here's a checklist of the things you got to do. And I think I will pat myself on the back. I think my wife and I have done a pretty good job of that with him. And I, and I think that he appreciates that a lot. I think he appreciates 
the sense of obligation and the sense that we are asking him to behave the way we all behave. And I, I, I think maybe our listener's husband might appreciate that as well. If you, if you, if you expect him to live up to, to his obligations too. So I think that's what's going on in the movie. Uh, once again, I don't know why it's called the Intouchables. I don't know what that word is. I don't know what it means. I don't know why the movie's called that. I've never understood it, but there you go. But it sounds like it sounds like a great prescription rafer, perfect for what Bridget's situation is. I think I think it'll be great for Bridget and her spouse. It is. It's a good, sweet little movie. Um, so anyway, Kristen, what about you? Well, I'm going to prescribe something that has no subtitles and on the surface, no intelligence either. Okay. I am prescribing a reality show from 2005 to 2008 called Beauty and the Geek. Do you know Beauty and the Geek, Rafer? It originally was on the WB and it was produced by Ashton Kutcher. It's now on Amazon Prime. Yes. I, uh, the, uh, you've... You've cited the only two things I know about it. <laughs> the Ashton Kutcher was involved and it was on the WB. That's it. Yes. I remember the title. I remember the title and that is it. Yes. And it got ridiculed to no end. Like, oh yes. my gosh, this sounds like reality TV has reached an all-time low. And I totally understand right. why people think that when they hear the premise of the show. Because the premise is that there are a group of beauties, almost all of whom are women, who are, you know, they're beautiful, they have outgoing personalities, they haven't necessarily worked on developing their intellectual side. And then there are geeks. And these are guys who, you know, mostly rely on their intellect, but they lack social skills and grooming expertise and so on. <laughs> and they are put onto two-person teams together. Each team has one beauty and one geek, and together each pair must compete in challenges to survive elimination. Ah. For example, the beauties might be forced to do a math challenge, which the geeks prep them for, and afterwards the geeks might be forced to talk to women at a party, which the beauties help them with to teach them how to have social skills. And the final remaining pair is, of course, declared the winners, and of course they win some money too. Here's a clip. I'm like, fifth graders today must be real smart because I'm just, I'm not following. Erica's not the smartest girl, but I kind of have low self-esteem when it comes to dating. And she has low self-esteem when it comes to how smart she is. We could both do well to raise each other's self-esteem in those different areas. Like, you guys are the kids who corrected the teachers in school. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, fuchsia, that's green, okay. And you're the kid talking in the back of the room. <laughs> I'm Rory. You should know this. There's one right over there. Oh, an all-wire! I was helping her with pretty much everything that we had to study with. And then we went on to the uh, dancers. Honestly, I don't know if any of those guys knew how to dance or they walked in the door. One and together. I'm white to the point of being clear. You know, you're trying to get me to dance to hip-hop. Can't do it. Freestyle. We can do freestyle. There you go. I have been a wallflower for many, many years. I was the kid in junior high who would go to the dances and drink punch all night. Kristen, this show sounds um, potentially sweet and potentially awfully offensive and stereotypical. Yes, absolutely. And I will say, when I first started watching it, I can't remember who dragged me into it. Somebody did. I thought, oh... These are all the worst stereotypes of women and of men. And of men, yeah. And this is just terrible. This show sucks. It's terrible. But the show actually kind of has a heart of gold. Huh. You come to see over the course of the show that 
all these guys who have leaned so heavily on their intellect uh, don't necessarily feel super confident in other areas of their lives. And all these women who are beautiful know that they can't get by on their looks forever. They know there's more and they help each other. They challenge each other to do more than they think they can do. And in the end, some of them realize like, hey, like some of the girls realize like, hey, maybe I'm not dumb. Maybe I just took it too personally that you know, I was called a dumb blonde as a little kid, or maybe some of the guys who were told that they were ugly dorks, maybe they're not ugly at all. And they're super handsome once like the girls give them makeovers, you know, <laughs> and, and all of these insecurities are there uh, on display. But then also, in order to help each other, they have to show those insecurities, they have to be willing to say, like, I need help with this. And the other team member will step up and help them. And I think that's really what we all need to do in life. And sure. what hopefully Bridget and her husband are doing for each other. Like, Bridget, maybe you're helping your husband right now with certain things with his hands. But hopefully you can look at the flip side of that. He's probably helping you in other ways, too, because it's never just one-sided in a relationship, right? Maybe he's doing something that is less concrete-seeming, but that's keeping the boat of your relationship going smoothly down the stream. And Beauty and the Geek, I hope, will remind you of that. Even when it seems like one person's holding the upper hand, that's not really true. Everybody's doing their fair share, and we all have something that we can lean on each other for and depend on each other for and hopefully get a little bit better from. After all these years, I never knew that that show, I, I, I always thought it was a dating show. <laughs> Uh, all these years, I never knew that about that show. Well, I'm not going to say crushes don't develop because I think, well, sure. you know, it happens from time to time. There's a crush here or there that develops. But mostly it's really just about breaking out of our shells of what society yeah. assigned us to be at a certain point. Maybe in sixth grade, you were the hot girl. And maybe in fourth grade, you were the nerd. And you kind of kept playing that role forever. But maybe you don't have to anymore. And maybe somebody else will step in and help you become something more. Interesting. Oh, I might actually have to check that out. Yeah. I'll be darned. Okay. Or maybe you'll watch it and be like, no, it really is crap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'm 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 intrigued by your by your description of this thing. Okay, so so we'll recap. Our recommendations are from Kristen, Beauty and the Geek. And for me, what I think is the strangely named Intouchables. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com, and fill out the contact form there. You don't have to use your real name. You can be one of the many Emilys who writes in if you like. And while you're there, check out the prescription pad, which has every movie and TV show we've ever prescribed on the show. Not everyone, because we haven't updated it in a few weeks, but most of them. We got to get some t-shirts that say Emily Army or something. Yes. We, yes. Right? We, we got to get some yeah. we got to get some merch. All right, <laughs> when we are back, we will tackle a letter from someone who needs to believe in humanity again. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or call she, the police. Or call the police like <laughs> she should have, exactly. 
quickly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then from beneath the Hollywood sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, you want to read this one? Yes, it's coming from one of our many Emilys. This Emily is Weary Emily. Weary Emily writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm actually a real therapist who works in palliative (laughs) care in a large hospital in Minneapolis. COVID has changed my world for ever so many reasons, but the main reason is how much suffering I've seen come directly from it both the death I've witnessed from it as well as all the grief for all the things lost because of it. On top of that, all the grief and anger I feel about COVID deniers and non-vaccinators. In and amongst it, my community and I are still reeling from the murder of George Floyd and Dante Wright. Normally, I can handle a certain amount of grief and death after all I went into palliative care, but add the above and it can be a bit much. I'm wondering if you have any movie or TV suggestions that might return my faith in humanity. See the beauty in the world around me. Help me see that there is still good out there or love my fellow human again. Any suggestions would be welcome. Well, I certainly know that uh, feeling. I think we've all been having that feeling, not just uh, from the pandemic, but for the last, I don't know, six years or something. I mean, I just feel like there's been a lot of um, uh, grief and strife and um, anger and um, weirdness and and all that stuff for a very, very, very long time going on. So I really, um, I really can understand the the general feeling of uh, this writer. How about you, Kristen? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, feel it all the time just think of climate change <laughs> you know there's there's okay. a lot yeah there's a lot to uh agonize over but emily you in particular my god you're in the deep end there yes working in that hospital dealing in palliative care i mean you are and in minneapolis with everything happening there uh i just want to thank you for everything you're doing i know it's hard i know you're making people's lives better i know that when i've had loved ones in palliative care the people who were working in that setting helped me and my family through some really painful times. So thank you for all you're doing. You're making the world a better place. Even if you feel like the world is terrible right now, you're making it better for other people. Totally agree. 
Yeah, it it is it is tough. And you know, we were talking um, a while back about um, what the movies are for. And uh, Chris and I were both talking about movies as fantasies and movies as fairy tales. And um, you know, that's that's another that's another great thing movies can do. I think li- lift you up and um, and take you out of whatever's happening in your life at the moment and put you somewhere that makes you feel better and maybe reminds you that um, things can be better too. So weary, Emily, I think you've come to the right place. Absolutely. So Kristen, what are you going to prescribe? Well, I am going to prescribe one of my old standbys. Anytime I come across it on a TV, in a hotel room, anywhere else, I got to stop the TV and sit down and watch what remains of the movie and cry and cry and cry and cry. But they're happy tears. (laughs) I am speaking of Mrs. Doubtfire from 1993. Are you that big a Mrs. Doubtfire fan? I didn't know that. Oh, I love Mrs. Doubtfire. It really does restore my faith in humanity. Sure. I mean... Now, you know the story, right, Rafer? Of course, of course. Yeah, we kind of have this screwed up dad and he's divorced and he's worried because he doesn't have a lot of access to his kids. His name's Daniel. He's played by Robin Williams. And he hatches this elaborate plan. He decides, I'm going to dress as an older British woman. I'm going to call myself Mrs. Doubtfire. And I'm going to convince my ex-wife, played by Sally Field, to hire me as a nanny. But how long can I keep up the act? That's the big question. Here's a clip. Now, there are all sorts of different families, Katie. Some families have one mommy. Some families have one daddy or, or two families. And some children live with their uncle or aunt. Some live with their grandparents. Or some children live with foster parents. And some live in separate homes and separate neighborhoods in different areas of the country. And they may not see each other for days, weeks, months, or even years at a time. But if there's love, dear, those are the ties that bind. And you'll have a family in your heart forever. All my love to you, Poppet. You're going to be all right. Bye-bye. It's just so funny that this movie, with such a completely absurd premise... um, (laughs) It wound up being this like heart tugger oh, yeah. and not like a slapstick farce, silly kind of toss off comedy, but it wound up being this like dramatic, beloved family classic. But the premise is just ridiculous. Oh, yes. It's, it's so fun. So it's such a funny thing about this movie. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's really all down to Robin Williams because, you know, he's, this is, this is the kind of role that he was so great at. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and it does seem ridiculous. And you might just think, oh, this should be on the Disney Channel. But no, it's so much more than that. Oh, yeah. It really is about a man who is flawed, but he has love in his heart. We know that this flawed person can be better. We know that he's immature. He's impulsive. He has like outlandish ideas. Like this is his version of being a better dad. Really? Right. This is what you're going to do? Really? Come on. But he does get better. He does grow. And I hope that when you watch this movie, Emily, maybe you'll see that those people around us who are driving us up a tree, who are being frustrating, that are not being as responsible as they should be, maybe they'll grow too. Maybe they'll do better. Maybe ourselves, maybe we'll do better. I know I screw up every single day and I could be a better person, but maybe I can be like Robin Williams' character. Maybe I can make mistakes and then do a little bit better and then do a little bit better the day after that. And maybe at the very end of the movie, oh God, not going to give it away, not going to give it away. (laughs) 
Not going to cry either. <laughs> oh, Kristen. But maybe by the end of the movie, I'll feel like I can go back out there and make some more mistakes, learn from those mistakes, do better, and maybe help other people do better in the world. Maybe help other people to love themselves more. And maybe the world will be a slightly kinder, safer, gentler place for everybody. That's how I hope you feel after watching Mrs. Doubtfire. I think that's great. I, I, I listen. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely movie. It's a completely lovely movie. Um, you know, there's a supposedly rumors that they're going to, um, <clears throat> that they had enough material from Robin Williams's um, ad libs to release an R-rated version what? because you know Robin Williams was such an he was such an improv genius and he could get really off color. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard any of his early albums oh, and stuff. Yeah. He could really yeah, he could get really really very blue as they say. And supposedly they had they have got so much footage of Robin Williams just riffing that they have briefly considered releasing like the, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire the uncut oh version <laughs> which would be a, a strange strange experience. But listen, it's a it's it's a it's a great movie. I'm just uh, and and a, and a lovely movie. I'm just I did, had no idea that you uh, that you loved it so much, Kristen. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Rafer, the very last episode of Movie Date we ever made together, we always ended each episode with trivia. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I ended our final episode with a clip of Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I don't remember that. I'm sorry I don't remember that. That's lovely. That's lovely, Kristen. Yeah, or I could be wrong. Maybe that was the third to last episode, but I feel like it was toward the end of the show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe our weary Emily here? Well, I'm going to go back. What seems, I, I, when I picked this movie, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that it was actually as recent as it was because it seemed like it was from so long ago. So much has happened. It's only from back in 2018. But I'm uh, choosing the documentary "Won't You Be My Neighbor" about Fred Rogers. I just grabbed my heart because I love this movie so much. I saw it in the theater uh, three times. Did you really? Well, yes. I went to a press screening first, and then I was invited okay. to another press screening and asked, "Do you want to come again?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." And then I went on my own because I was doing that movie pass thing. And one day I'm just like, "I'm going to go into the movie and see it again." Oh yeah. <laughs> and every single time I saw it. My faith was restored in humanity, and I cried. It was so beautiful. And you're right. It seems like a million years ago. Doesn't it? I can't believe I had Movie Pass just three years ago. What? That's <laughs> right. Movie Pass. God, that seems, it seems like it's like it seems as old as AOL or something at this point. Right? I know. It seems like it's, it's like, yeah, different... let's go to Blockbuster Video and then use our Movie Pass God. afterward. Yeah. Wow. Like... <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. So this is this is Morgan Neville's documentary on Fred Rogers, the the children's television show host. Um, he was the host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood uh, for on PBS for 33 years, from 1968 to 2001. And yes, this is a movie all about what a great guy Mr. Rogers was. That sort of goes without saying. And it and it's nice it's nice to see a, a one of your heroes not get shot down, you know, in an expose of some sort <laughs> uh, to find out that yes, Mr. Rogers was just as wonderful as you were hoping he was. But it does do a couple of other interesting things. Um, and one is it shows just what a radical departure Mr. Rogers was for television at the time. And and this is something I'd kind of never thought about, but he started the show as a reaction to what television was becoming. Um, and remember, television was kind of new at the time. I mean, he when he first started out, it was like he his early shows were in the 50s when he first started being a television guy. 
And he was really upset that uh, TV was becoming violent and loud and um, very fast paced uh, and kind of dumb. Um, all, all the things that TV still kind of is sometimes. <laughs> and so um, he was this really great believer in the value of TV as an, as an educational tool. And almost more than that, like as a character building tool. And so you have a lot of people talking about the things he did in this in this movie that were um, kind of unusual, like that moment where he he talks about you know time. You know, what is time? How long do you think a minute is? And he just turns over a little a little hourglass, and you just sit there and watch <laughs> the hourglass run out. And I remember watching that, thinking like that is pretty radical. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do nothing for a solid minute on television. Entire news stories take place in a minute on TV, right? And the original title of the film was going to be The Radical Mr. Rogers, um, but they changed it because Trump had just gotten in office and radical was sort of this dirty word. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the, and the movie also shows a lot about, you know, Mr. Rogers as this great, um, you know, this great figure of love and kindness, which he was. And here's a clip. Love is at the root of everything. All learning all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Oh, Mr. Rogers. I love you, Mr. Rogers. Oh, God. My heart is filled with that love. I feel that love. I know I can give that love. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Thank you. Oh, it's just incredible. And there's that moment in the movie, which I'm going to try to describe without actually crying here in the podcast, where uh, Morgan Neville asks people, um, who's someone in your life that meant something to that meant something to you? Someone in your life who gave you love that you really remember that you wish you could tell them how much you love them. And he just kind of springs it on people and it just hits everybody like a ton of bricks and you could just tell people in the audience just melted people just people just like I, me i just i fell apart i've never seen anyone do anything quite like that in a documentary and i think one of the great things about this movie is it just it it you know it came out at a time i i i won't name any particular world leaders but it came out at a time <laughs> when i felt like our our culture was really being driven into a place of real hostility and anger and hatred. And this movie came out and I think just reminded everybody of what we used to be and how we used to treat each other. And it really said to, to us, it, you know, it could be that way again. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you, we could all be that way again. It's not that hard. It doesn't take that much. And, uh, it was just, it was the perfect movie at the moment. And um, I think it might be the, the perfect movie at the moment again. Um, totally worth rewatching um, and, a, and a, a real faith in humanity movie. Mm. Well, Rafer, it's not a competition, but if it were, you 
would win here for best prescription for Weary Emily? Because won't <laughs> you be know. my neighbor? I is know. Mrs. Doubtfire is great. Uh, I I think you won. Won't you be my neighbor? Is so good. Just thinking about, it, I'm getting misty thinking about this movie. Oh, I know me so too. Good. God, I know me too. It's so good. So once again, those prescriptions are from Rafer, the documentary "Won't You Be My Neighbor," and from me, Mrs. Doubtfire. All right, we're going to take another quick break. But before we do, thanks to everyone who has reviewed and rated us with five stars in Apple Podcasts. For instance, Running Judy 45 recently gave us five stars and wrote, Kristen and Rafer go very well together. If this show had a Patreon, I would happily go with it. Thanks so much for doing this show. Oh, thank you so much, Running Judy 45. We, we <laughs> thought about having a Patreon at one point, and then it, I guess it just never happened. Yeah, I know. We never did it. We never did it. Um, yeah, we do go well together. Do you think you're wine and I'm cheese, or do you think that do you think I'm the wine? Actually, no. I feel like you're. I feel like you're a martini, and I'm a grilled cheese sandwich. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Even better. That sounds pretty good, actually. Okay. It does. We'll have to get that after this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, stay with us, everyone. When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, what's our letter say this week? This one comes from another Emily. Just Emily. Ooh. Emily says, <laughs> Dear Rafer and Kristen, please don't judge me. But over the course of COVID, I've been watching the worst game shows you can imagine every night before bed. We're talking the relaunch of the dating game with Zoe Deschanel and Michael Bolton. We're talking shows like The Floor is Lava. <laughs> The dumber the shows, the more relaxed I tend to feel. It's like the shows, in their stupidity, give me permission to empty all the stresses from my brain so I can fall asleep without obsessing over all the scary things in the world. Are there other dumb game shows you can recommend or dumb movies about game shows? What should I watch next? I love this question so much. I love it. There's no judgment There's here. There's zero judgment here at movie therapy. No, no. Just our couch is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> and Rafer, have you seen this new dating game show? It's absolutely terrible. Until I read this letter, I had no idea it existed. Oh, it's the worst. Zoe Deschanel and Michael Bolton? Oh, God. It's the worst show. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah, it's just... Wow. Yeah. It's like the lowest. I love Zoe Deschanel, too. You might not after that show. It's terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so bad. Wow. Well, listen, that, and you know, what else are game shows for, right? That is, ex- I think I think this listener has hit the nail right on the head. It, uh, what did she say? It, they give her permission to empty all the stresses from her brain. And that, I think that's exactly what a game show does. They're great for that. Yeah. I mean, I think that also there's two different kinds of game shows. There's the game show when we were little kids, Rafer, and we would be sick at home and your parents would let you stay at home and you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to watch The Price is Right while I drink 7-Up. Yeah, there's right. like that kind of game right. show. 
And then there's this uh, nighttime game show thing that started happen in the, happening in the last 20 years where it's like glitzy and there's like a big set and yeah. it's like deal or no deal or you yeah, know. millionaire who wants to be a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Those kinds of shows, those glitzy nighttime ones. And I think it's really interesting now because I don't know if it's COVID or if it started before COVID, but there are all these game shows now that kind of have the glitziness of you know, a show like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with the big set and the spotlights yeah. and all of those things. And yet what's happening on the stage is the least intelligent thing you can possibly imagine. There's no trivia. There's there's no thinking. Right, right. It's like, um, um, what's the, these, kind of, these kind of like, they're almost like modern gong shows, right? With these kind of dumb, yes. dumb talent. Yes. People come on and do stupid yes. stuff. God, boy, I could watch. Like the masked singer or the masked yes. dancer. Right, right. <laughs> They're so yes. stupid. Yeah. You know, when we got this letter, I, I searched desperately, desperately. I I went everywhere trying to find if the gong show was available somewhere in some watchable format. It's just not. Um, it's oh, not out there. I but, loved that show as a kid. Oh, God, did I love the gong show. I could talk about that for oh, hours. Anyway, uh, enough of that. But I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. Um, so, Kristen, what, what are you going to recommend? Because you're, you're a big game show person. Yes, I do like a dumb game show. I, I do. When I hear about one, I'll always try to check it out. And that even includes that terrible Love Connection relaunch that starred Andy Cohen. Oh, yeah. That had the drawbridge yeah. and the smoke machine and the lasers. I even tried that. Yeah, I will. Wow. Yeah, I'll watch any bad game show at least once. So there's one bad game show that I've recently been watching. Um, I don't know if it's really a game show or a reality show. It's kind of tough to tell. It's F-Boy Island on HBO Max. What is it? F-Boy Island. Um, do you know the term fuckboy, Rafer? No. You know, a fuckboy. He's just like, well, I'm just going to like fuck around with you, but I'm not a boyfriend. I'm not boyfriend material. I'm fuckboy material. Isn't that just a guy? <laughs> I'm not trying to be facetious. But I mean, like, I mean, pickup artist guy is one thing, right? Like mystery and those guys. And like when Neil Strauss from the Times and Rolling Stone decided to write that whole pick that whole pickup artist book and do that whole sleazy thing. That's like like they shave themselves bald and do the whole thing. That's a different. What I don't I don't I Kristen, I don't get it. I don't get it. But explain, explain. An F-boy is just essentially like the grossest version of a pickup artist. He'll he'll act like he cares. He'll say the right things or he'll nag on you or he'll do different things to just like get in your pants or to make you feel like you need to go home with him. But he's he's not boyfriend material. He's an F-boy. And as a guy. <laughs> You're describing a guy. No, okay. Kristen. You are a married man. Who loves your wife very much, and you chose to marry her. I do. Yes. Of course I do. Okay. Listen, tell me about F-Boy Island. <laughs> All right. It is hosted by comedian Nikki Glazer, who, by the way, is hilarious. She's a really good host. And F-Boy Island centers on three female contestants. They're three beautiful women who are almost always in a bikini. And there <laughs> okay. are 24 male counterparts. And uh, these men arrive on F-Boy Island. Twelve of them happen to actually be F-Boys, but the other 12 happen to be nice guys. The challenge, the women on the show, those three women, have to determine which ones are F-Boys and which ones are nice guys. Here's a clip. Women have been forced to tolerate the manipulative douchebaggery of F-Boys for far too long. And that's why we're here. Welcome to F-Boy Island. 
Ladies, the three of you are hoping to find love in this tropical paradise. I'm over the players. I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready for love. Ooh. What you should know, there are 24 men. 12 of them are nice guys. The other 12, self-proclaimed F-boys. Bro, bruh, bro, bro, bruh. He's really cute, but he looks like he's gonna ruin my life. It's up to these three ladies and you at home to figure out who the F is who. I don't even know. It's gonna be hard. Ugh. I like big boys, itty bitty boys. I like funny guys. I like silly guys. I like a big beard. I like a clean face. I'm hoping to have some fun and see who does have good intentions. He looks like a guy that has two phones. So, Kristen, what are you what are you saying? You're saying that you're saying that the that the the woman could end up with an f boy. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to tell you how good or bad the judgment is of these women. No, I'll tell you they have bad judgment. Yeah, I was. They, they definitely have bad judgment. They're on the show. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and it is the dumbest game show you'll ever watch. It is so dumb. I'm saying this as someone who watches a lot of dumb shows. But if you want a dumb game show, I think F Boy Island is up there. Forgive me, again, if you just think this is a reality show. I think it's kind of half and half game show, reality show. I mean, reality shows are all... Yeah, reality shows kind of are game shows. I think so. I mean, they sort of started out as game shows, really, in in a way, right? I mean, aside from... I mean, well, Survivor. Yeah, unless they're those weird observational reality shows, which I'm not a fan of, like Real Housewives or Below Deck or Southern Charm. Like all those shows where it's like, let's just watch rich people be rich. Right. I'm always a much bigger fan where there's a weird premise. I'm like, I want to see people do weird things. Yeah, right. Right. And then fight to win. <laughs> <laughs> On this show, do you win something? Yes, you do. Okay. You do win something. And among the things you win, the dignity <laughs> of not being with an F-boy, hopefully. But not going to give it all away, Rafer. Not giving away. I want to hear from you. What dumb game show are you going to recommend to Emily here? I'm sorry. I can't get over this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you don't know what a fuck boy is. You don't know what an F-boy is? Oh, no. I ended up with a guy. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to recommend. Um, like I say, I, I, I went everywhere trying to find the gong show. Couldn't do it. Uh, but what I did find was this little weird thing. I don't know what to call it. It's like a, I don't know if you call it a network or a streaming service or something in between or what it is, but it's called Buzzer. B-U-Z-Z-R. Where did the E go? There's no E. The E... <laughs> The E is on F Boy Island. <laughs> that's where it is. Where the letters of the alphabet go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, right next to F. And so, okay, so this and this is sort of it's not new, new, but I guess it. I guess this was created back in 2015. It's part of some larger European media company based in Luxembourg, of all things. And really, what they did was. They just bought up all the rights to a pretty large library of vintage game shows, um, most of them from the early 70s, maybe to the early 90s. And it's just this kind of treasure trove of, you know, vintage, wonderful, beige tone game shows from the 70s. Um, (laughs) And I think what I like about it is that it's live meaning it's not on demand. You can't just choose from a list of shows, click on one and start watching it. You have to tune in like you did in the old days and see what's on. 
Like, even if you go to the buzzer website, you just click on it and see what's playing. Like, just ex- oh exactly the way that we all used to watch television, right? A game, you'd be watching something else, and then a game show would come on. You'd just say, well, I just I guess I'll watch this idiocy for another half an hour. You just <laughs> sit there and watch it, right? Oh, my God. And then you're so mad because Card Sharks is on, and you really wanted to watch Pyramid? Like, oh! <laughs> They've got Card Sharks, the dumbest game show ever so created. Dumb. Card Sharks with Bob Eubanks. Oh, um, my God. It's great. It's the that's if you don't know Card Sharks, I think it's actually still on. Uh, somebody else is hosting it now, like Joel. What's his face? Joel McHale. Well, someone's still hosting Card Sharks, or was recently. But the old Card Sharks, they had the big giant oversized cards with, uh, <laughs> with two women because it took two women to overturn a card, and they'd turn over a card, and then you'd have to guess whether the next card would be higher or lower, <laughs> and people would look to the audience for help. I I don't know. The audience would say higher lower i remember even as a kid i would think that's the dumbest game show i've ever seen that is there is no strategy on this show whatsoever that doesn't even count as a game <laughs> like what is that but yeah they got card sharks they've got really old stuff like what's my line where you had a you know you the contestant would come on and there'd be a, a panel of celebrity guests and they would have to try to guess your occupation weird idea for a show concentration the rebus game but then of course my favorite match game um, and I always, always, always loved a match game. Uh, celebrity, uh, I'll describe it to you. You're the contestant. You've got a, a, a panel of celebrity guests, many, many of whom just seem to be professional celebrity guests. You never, could never imagine, I could never figure out why these people were on these, on these shows, but they were on all the shows. <laughs> and it was basically like Mad Libs. So they would read out a kind of a Mad Lib with a blank in it. And then you had to write your answer down. The celebrity guests would write their answer down, and then you would see if you had a match. And of course, as the show went on, the the blanks became more and more um, and more and more obvious sexual double entendres. Oh, always, always raunchy by the end because it was the seventies, <laughs> right? It was the seventies. All we were all thinking about sex all the time. Here's a clip. Second half of round one, Terry Bauer. This is all yours. Everybody plays. The lawyer said. To his client. <laughs> I think this judge used to work in a delicatessen. Instead of banging a gavel, he's banging a... Pickle. A pickle. Yes. No. Mm. <laughs> if you're going to bang something, uh, you know, and you want to attract attention, I don't think you can do it with a pickle because, you know, pickle's only about that big. It would, <laughs> would hurt your knuckles. What you get at a delicatessen. Really? Yeah. All right. Wait a minute. Alex Karras will show you what you get at a delicatessen. Well, Are you joking? <laughs> I, I have a marvelous mind, Gene. Yes. But I'm always trying to think of what an average person would say. Yes. And an average person would say, salami. Salami. Ah, Rafer. That whole era of game show, so good. So bad. Oh, man. So terrible. So bad. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> match and match game was just like God. Gene Rayburn was the host of it. He just had his teeth were like three inches long. He was just all teeth, <laughs> and you had all these people on the show. Like I said, it was uh, here. I'm going to name them, Kristen. You tell me when you recognize a name. Brett Summers, McLean Stevenson. <laughs> but then, then occasionally you'd get somebody like Penny Marshall, uh, or you'd get, of course, the great Charles Nelson Riley. Of course. Who was of course. The best game show celebrity <laughs> of all time. And uh, fun fact, 
if you're a Mad Magazine fan, I know I'm dating myself, uh, the joke writer for the show was Dick DiBartolo, who was a, a well-known Mad Magazine uh, contributor for years and years and years. Still alive, apparently. I looked him up. He's still alive. He's only 75 years old. Wow. Anyway, Match Game is, you know, the 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 the, the waterbed of game shows. It's, <laughs> it was just, it was so good. Uh, and they've got all these other ones. Buzzer has all these other ones that you've, like, I've never heard of. Tattletales, Body Language, never heard of them. But you can find them. I think it's buzzertv.com, but look them up. Uh, they're right there online. And if you can't find a, a truly dumb game show on Buzzer, I don't know what to tell you. Check it out. Wow. Wow. That is a cornucopia of bad TV right there from our own Ray for Guzman. <laughs> it sure is. Again, the network is called Buzzer, B-U-Z-Z-R, and my prescription is F-Boy Island on HBO Max. That's the first thing I'm watching tonight, I'll tell you that much. Good grief. And you're just going to be like, oh, they're just like me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that is it, Kristen. That's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Indeed it is, but that doesn't mean the conversation is over. You can always join us on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. And thanks to everyone who wrote in as always. We so appreciate it. Thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we're proudly a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and The Production Booth. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.